Okay, here we are in 2019, January the 10th, and this is the first Science Fiction Club meeting of the year. And uh, we are just going to go around and see what people brought to talk about this month, old or new. So whoever wants to give it a go to start the new year, uh, fire away. Okay. All right, Roger. Um, I wanted to tell you about Ember from the Sun by Mark Cantor. That is another book that I scanned for Bookshare, and as far as I know, that's the only place you can find it right now. But um, it is about a guy who brings back a Neanderthal. There, um, there is a certain professor, I think he's an anthropology professor, or perhaps biology professor or something like that, who is out in the wilds of Alaska looking for evidence of ancient human habitation. And he beds down in an ice cave and feels like there was a root poking him in the back all night long. And when he wakes up, he decides to check out what's poking him in the back. And it looks like a human hand sticking out of the ice. So, of course, he digs it up. And it turns out to be a frozen Neanderthal woman. And he has considered himself to made, have made an enormous archaeological find. Now, let me say that there is no evidence that Neanderthals were ever in Alaska. But in the context of this story, they are. And in fact, they were the last of the Neanderthals. And I think this is probably because the author is familiar with the Native American culture in Alaska and in the state of Washington and in that area of the Pacific Northwest. And the Native people do come into the story heavily, so that's why he probably places it there. But there were never really any Neanderthals in Alaska. At least if there were, they haven't been found. But he finds a whole frozen female Neanderthal, takes it back to the university where he works, and starts dissecting her, and finds out that she has an embryo in her. She was pregnant, just barely pregnant though, it's only an embryo, but of course he gets the big idea of finding a surrogate mother to implant an embryo in, to give birth to a Neanderthal child. And he manages to find a homeless teenage Indian couple who he offers to pay for carrying the child. And so he transplants the um, embryo into the female, and she does give birth. But the trouble is, after she gives birth, she wants to keep the baby, and she won't let him, the scientist, have anything to do about it with it. So she takes the baby back to the Indian community, and he can only observe this Neanderthal child growing up. And by the way, the name of the child is Ember. That's where the um, name of the book comes from, Ember from the Sun. And she grows up. She has a speech impediment, although after... The book makes it clear that she does have a speech impediment that doesn't play much of a role in it anymore. 
some things bother me about it. It's science fiction, but they seem to have to insert some kind of supernatural stuff in there. Like for one thing, she has a strong uh, affinity for animals, especially horses. Horses just love her. To be honest, though, based on what I've heard about Neanderthal dietary habits, I would think the horses would be terrified of her. (laughs) But more than that, she also uh, starts having memory flashbacks. And, um, well, I'm sorry, but you're not going to remember anything that happened when you were an embryo, especially if it was some 30,000 years ago. But she starts having memory flashbacks um, about her community or the community of her mother, the Neanderthal community, and how the um, some sort of alien beings, which apparently are Homo sapiens, are tracking them down and trying to kill them, and such. And but Ember grows up, and Ember herself finds the rest of her community, which are still frozen in and out in a an ice cage in a cave in Alaska. And it happens to be right where this company is trying to open up a gold, gold mine. And for the sake of profits, they want to um, destroy all the Neanderthals and keep it a secret that they were ever there because that would interfere with their ability to mine gold. And so there is a lot of contention around that issue. All in all, I like the story, but I still don't think she's going to have memories of things that happened before she was born 30,000 years ago. So there you have it, Ember from the Sun by Mark Cantor. That's Cantor spelled C-A-N-T-E-R. It is on Bookshare. I put it there. So it was better than the last one. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Good. Yeah, that sounds interesting. Uh, It sounds like it might have been better done, but it still sounds like it might be interesting. Uh, Okay. Uh, I guess I'll go next. Okay. Let me see if I can remember the name of the author here. I have it here on my phone for one second. Yeah, one second. Let me find out what the name. Okay, it's called a Relic by Alan Dean Foster. Has anyone ever read it or heard of it? Can you repeat the title, please? Title: Relic. 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 I've heard of it, but I haven't read it. All right. um, And I know the author. I've heard about the author, but I don't. I'm not real familiar with him. I haven't read a lot of his stuff, but. Okay, this book deals with the last survivor of humanity. Apparently, um, human beings have spread out to many different worlds, and they were a very successful species, but they got they invented an agent for warlike use, and it ended up destroying, it was apparently a biological agent, and it wiped out the whole species except for one person, by the name of, of Ruslan, and he was wandering around on his home planet, which was an Earth. And he was found by an alien species called the Masari, who are three-legged creatures. And they are a very 
intelligent and very nice, you know, interesting species who, whose whole goal or one of their chief goals was to study the ex extinct human species and try to eventually bring them back. So Ruslan was, was considered by them to be the most valuable of treasures, and they gave them all the comforts um, on their home planet. And uh, they visited different planets with different cities of, 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 that were left by humanity. And, and their scientists helped him delve into, you know, or he helped them rather explain different aspects of, of human history and human culture. And uh, on one of their visits to a planet, a really ugly planet, was all filled with swamps and everything. They went to this lost city. And while wandering around, he found another human survivor, a girl who was living by herself for many, many years. It was almost like a wild creature. And uh, he managed to, you know, win her over and take her back with him to the alien species. And together, they, she, little by little, he taught her, you know, the civilization of, um, of, the, of, of these aliens who cared for them. And she casually mentioned, at, at, in the beginning, she was almost like a child. You know, she was apparently her being alone all the time and struggling against the different predators that existed on that planet, you know, damaged her, her mind to some degree. And in one of her musings, she mentioned the name of another, of, 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 of another survivor who at first uh, Rusland thought you know, the dust, it might have been just a figment of her imagination, but they went back there and, and they found him. And he turns, he turned out to be an adult person. They brought him back, uh, and he was a much more disagreeable type person. And he ended up being jealous of the relationship between Roseland and and the girl, and was going to kill Roseland, and, and the girl killed him. So again, there were just two people. Two, two survivors. In the meantime, one of, one of uh, Ruslan's hope was that they should look, they could be able to locate Earth, their their original planet, which they hadn't been, been successful in doing. And eventually they did, and they sent an expedition with the two of them back to Earth. And they found, of course, the planet to be totally restored. The, the virus had died out. In a, you know, it was a pristine planet now, except for the cities, derelict cities all over the planet. And in one of those cities, they happened upon, or one of the um, their surveyors picked up a, a weak signal from some source. So they went there and they found this this door that led into the mountain, and, 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 and the, the, their hosts could not figure out how to open it, and then. The girl just by chance put her finger hand on it, and the door opened. Well, to make it short, they found inside there was a a research station where they had hundreds of humans in 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 suspended animation, and the girl the girl by using her human touch was able to bring them back, and they found out that they had different repositories all over the earth at the very end. Uh, they, they they asked how many people are were going to come back, and she said billions. Now, uh, one thing I forgot to mention, there was a, a competing alien species who had settled, who had come before uh, their um, their species that was, you know, caring for them, 
and they were laying claim to Earth for themselves as an uninhabited planet. But once all the humans came back and joined the, the, the galaxy, there were several other alien species that formed a confederation, then they were able to um, lay a valid plan, a claim to Earth as their restored planet. And that's basically the way it ended. Hmm. Well, was it good? I, mean, I, I, thought, I, I thought it was good. It dragged along in a few places, but it was very interesting. His interactions with interaction with the Masari and the comparison with the Masari, which the with the other alien species, whose name I forgot. All but right. I, I think it is rather interesting. I thought it was Bard, the reader, the narrator was very good, so I would definitely recommend it, especially if no one has ever had read it before. All right. I think I saw Sherry's name here. Did yes. I see it? I did. You did. I didn't know if my, I finally had to dial in. I couldn't get Zoom to pick up. It just kept saying, waiting for host. So oh, I didn't know right. if my phone number would show up or not. But in any case, I am here. Um, I read Small Miracles by Edward Lerner. And it is about the creation of a special sort of body armor suit that makes you um, not quite indestructible, but pretty close. There's also nanobots that are in your system so that if you get wounded, you will have those rush to the side of the wound and heal you right away, including broken bones, any kind of wounds and stuff. So we start out with a guy who's kind of testing this. He's riding with the cops just to go out and see what's going on. He gets into an explosion. And he has really, really massive wounds, but they're all healed by those nanobots. And they did not think that the nanobots could get into your brain. They thought there was some sort of, I think they call it a CPD, some sort of thing that they wouldn't get there. But, of course, if you have a head injury, perhaps they could get there. And as you might well expect, things go awry. Um, His best friend starts noticing that he's, very different and he won't ever take his VR glasses off he's constantly distracted he's on those and you also hear from his side he does still have these nanobots in him and of course they're AI so of course they are getting smarter and of course you know what could go wrong Um, he involves some other people he infects some other people by giving them head injuries and these people start referring to people without nanobots in them as Neanderthals, and of course they want to take over the world. Oh. It's not a not a very good book, really. It's mm-hmm. pretty predictable, and it's the science, is, the science isn't bad, and there's a lot of medical stuff in there, and that isn't bad. It's just the plot is kind of tired and trite, and mm-hmm. um, I don't, don't have too much good to say about it. He used to write a lot for Analog, I remember, and I don't remember a you know, lot, and he worked with Larry Niven on some Ringworld books, or or uh, this would have been a really good or known long space fiction books. in analog rather yeah. than an entire book. Mm-hmm. If it would have been half its length, it probably would have held up much better than it did. There was a lot of chasing people around and mm-hmm. trying to hide, and you know, just you know, a lot of that kind of stuff that didn't really add much to the story. So do, do, do those nanobots, other than healing powers, do they give these people any other kind of extra powers or not? 
Um, just super intelligence, and they can communicate with each oh. other through these VR glasses and stuff. And but, so perhaps they, they would be better for the world than some Neanderthals I won't mention right now. But, but uh, <laughs> if they're super intelligent, they but they probably lose still, right? Uh, yeah, they do. <laughs> they, they, it's always... Not uh, to spoil it, but yeah, they you know, you, you can expect that, yeah. I think at the end, you know, and this is going to be more than I read it, I think there was kind of a teaser at the end to make you think maybe there was still one around. And I thought maybe there might even be a sequel, but I didn't even look because I wasn't really interested if there was. Okay. So are the, are the nanobots, are, are they evil or, 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 or good or neither way? Or No, they're, they're neither. They're just okay. Um, okay. focused on themselves and replicating themselves. And okay. I combined with a person they're into self-preservation at all costs and replicating themselves above okay. all things and getting rid of the Neanderthals at some point. Okay. Well, and, and I labeled your phone number to your name. So, uh, that, oh, thanks. Yeah. That's why I, I, I didn't yeah. know what, how it would show up. Yeah. 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 It showed up with your phone number. So I changed it to, to okay. okay. Thanks. All no right. Problem. Well, since, 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 since my book has, bot in the title as well i guess i'll uh, or you know it's it's not i nanobot it's i robot but uh by isaac isaac asimov and i'm, I'm sure probably most of y'all have read it but uh, uh it was one of the I, first books i ever read yeah I, 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 and i really like this book because uh i mean i i've always heard about the three laws of robotics i can't i can't spout them off to y'all i probably should be able to but uh i i, I like this because it was basically like nine short stories that that kind of like ha that revolves around this cast of characters that that work for U.S. robots, I guess, or most of them do. But I, I guess the thing I like best about it is most of the stories revolve around people and, and how they screw up when they try to misinterpret how, how the three laws of robotics are going to apply. So uh, that that seemed to be what a lot of the stories were about. Would, would be they they were trying to second guess how the robots were going to work under these three laws. And it seemed like when things went awry, because it, it was human, humans messing up and, and misinterpreting stuff. But uh, uh, I, I thought Asimov did a good job, you know, keeping, keeping the stories interesting. And, you know, he, he had, a, I'm, I'm not going to spout up what they're all, all about, but you know, they're, they're pretty interesting. One of the ones is called liar. And it's about, a robot that keeps telling people what he thinks they want to hear because he's because of the first law that says a robot can't hurt a human. He doesn't want to hurt their feelings and stuff. So I mean, that 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 was kind of interesting and that was kind of a different play on the whole, the whole thing. But uh, uh, you know, I, I I thought it was pretty interesting. Yeah, I, I've seen the movie I Robot and, and it's obviously it, it it's totally different. I think it 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 borrows some of the character names. But other than that, it, it, yeah, it creates its own story and stuff. But uh, uh, if, if you've never read this, it, 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 it's entertaining. It's relatively short. It's only about seven hours long. And uh, Bob Askey narrates, and he does a good job. And it, it, was, it, it, was, it, was, it was an entertaining read. So uh, that, that's really all I got to say about it. Alan, who was the robo-psychologist? Susan Cooper, maybe? She's Calvin. Famous. Calvin, yeah, Susan Calvin. Calvin. Yeah. Susan Calvin. Yeah. yeah, she's sort of one of Asimov's famous characters. Right, right, yeah. and, and I, I think I think there's a character in the movie that's got her name, and then Alfred 
Alfred Lanning, I think, is kind of like her boss, I think. Or he, he's like the head roboticist or whatever. And he, he's like one of the main characters in the movie. Interesting. The stories uh, actually uh, progress. Uh, the robots get more sophisticated as the stories go on because Robbie can't even talk. Right, right. Yeah, he's the yeah, first right. one in the story. Right. But by the end, they're almost, you know, almost human-like. Uh, oh, yeah. Well, well, in one of the stories, one of the, guy, one of, uh, one of the guys is a robot. that they, they can't decide if he's a robot or a human and stuff, it seems like. He's like a, he's running for some kind of office or something. And, uh, right. He gets accused of being a robot. It, it turns out it, 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 he is a robot. So it's uh, – uh, uh, but, but, you know, yeah, it, it, it was interesting. But I, I, I enjoy – I enjoyed the human interplay and stuff like that. I mean, you know, to see people kind of kind of step into things and, and messing up, and that, that's always kind of entertaining. Right? I like the one, and I actually it's been so long since I read it, but I remember I like the one with the the robot on Venus, just because you know I think he did a great job of describing the environment. This is before we knew a lot about Venus, but right, right. right. But it was a good story. But I don't remember much about it, but it was. A, it was, a, uh, it was a good story, but uh, right, yeah, right. Davy, uh, the robot, he was a miner, and he was he was controlling like four or five, you know. And at, at a certain point, he got too many he got too many robots under his control, and they started going uh, haywire because he couldn't handle them all. Right. Um, right. That was that was interesting. A lot of them have to do with you know Susan Calvin being the main character. A lot of them have to do with her figuring out why the robots are doing strange things exactly uh, exactly yeah yeah and and there's a couple other guys that, that recur in the in throughout the stories one of them's, one of them's name's donovan and one of them's name powell they they, they were almost kind of comic humor, I thought. They, they were always kind of arguing with each other deciding with each other and they were kind of entertaining uh, but yeah it's a uh asimov tells tells a good story and and, and the whole robot thing i, I find very interesting so. yeah cool Actually, you know, I uh, read somewhere once that the reason Asimov came up with these three laws of robotics was that um, prior to him, all the robots in stories evil beings, and he didn't like robots being considered evil, so he came up with these three laws of robotics like to uh, robots from doing anything bad to humans. Well, there you go. Yeah, then, I mean... <laughs> but then... Showing what would happen if the three laws of robotics don't quite work the way they were expected. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, is the yeah. story in there? Is I I don't know if it was because I, I think he wrote other robot stories, but is the is the story in there about the somebody tells the robot to get lost and he actually does and they couldn't figure out why they couldn't find him and they finally at the end of the story the one of the workers at the factory or wherever it was he told him he said he told him to get lost and that's how he got lost yeah that that, that is one of the stories <laughs> they were very literal i mean that was one of the right. things you had to be careful how you talk to them right because they right. would do literally you know what you told them to do and i and i, and I thought it was interesting I, I wanted to bring this up i'm glad you, glad you reminded me because i you know I, I i'm from the south i've lived in the south all my life i mean you know obviously we've got a checkered history with how we 
treated, you know, you know, the, you know, the African-American race and stuff. But I thought it was real interesting that and there was this scene where these guys were talking down to the robots and they were calling them boy and stuff. And I'm thinking, well, I mean, that, that goes back into robotics. Even, you know, it's, uh, I, I guess that's, I would be, I wouldn't be surprised if that was deliberate on Asimov's part. Well, yeah. And, and I'm wondering, is, is that just a common degenerative term across cultures and stuff? I mean, when you're, if, if you think a race is, 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 is is lower than you? Is that just a, a degenerative term, boy? I mean, is that? I wonder if that's universal or not. Because I mean, it certainly Wait, was. What he called them? I'm sorry. Boy, boy, they were called. Yeah, them and how boy. condescending that can be. All right, right, but uh, uh, it's, uh, you know, uh, I, I thought, man, this this is this is interesting. Well, it shows that you look down upon whomever you're talking to when you call them boy. But um, right, right, I don't know if it's generally used all over the world to. Indicate uh, somebody you look down on. I, I think that Asimov obviously got this from um, out of Southern culture. I'm sure. Uh, yeah, I'm sure he did. Yeah, too. but yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know if it's universal or not. All right. Yeah. Well, the British. I, I, I think the British did that too back when they had the empire. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think okay. so. Okay. Well, yeah, I'm thinking that too. That they used to call the Indians from. The India Indians boy. boys, yeah, yeah, I think so. So it's yeah. definitely common. If it's not worldwide, it's a big part of the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a good book. It was a good book. Yeah. It's been a long time. It brought back a lot of memories hearing you talk about it, though. Just right, right. One of the I, first talking books I ever read. Okay. Yeah, well, so. I think he wrote another one, maybe called Caves of Steel, that deal with robots. Well, he wrote two that? novels, actually. Uh, Okay, go ahead, Roger. There were three anthologies. Uh, actually, yeah, three anthologies. I, Robot, <coughs> the rest of the robots, yep. and more from the rest of the robots. And oh, then okay. it was t- the Caves of Steel came along with, where our Daniel Oliva was introduced. He was a robot. Okay. Um, I think there might have been some sequels to Caves of Steel. The Naked Sun. Yeah, The Naked Sun another was one. one. And now, if there were any after that, I don't know them. Then, oh yeah, separate from um, the robot stories, along he wrote the um, Foundation trilogy. Then, yeah. the Foundation what? trilogy existed as a trilogy oh, without robots in it for many, many, many years. Then, toward the end of his life, he started writing sequels to the Foundation trilogy, where he brought our Daniel Oliva back. And this was the very far future. So our Daniel Oliva had uh, existed for thousands and thousands of years by then. And okay. if he was sophisticated enough robot that um, um, he was assumed to be human by most people and apparently a virtually immortal human. So... Uh, that robot thing was kept for a while there. I want to ask a question, I want to ask a question. That, that lovely movie about this robot who wanted to be like a child, like a boy and was raised by the family. And then I forget the, they, uh, the, they determined that he wasn't, uh, what was that called? An, an Bicentennial M- man. No, I don't think that or, was. Is it Daryl? No, it has something to do with uh, I wrote, or I, I, I forget, but it was such a lovely movie. And I was just wondering where it went from what book, from uh, what, you know, um, written book I was taken from. But now I can't remember the title. Mm, well, 
Is that the one where the kid finally steals a fighter plane? No. no. Okay. It's not the one I was thinking of them. them. Uh, it, does, Robin, does Robin Williams play the robot character or not? In the Bicentennial Man, he does. That's okay, a great okay. movie. Okay, that really thought, is actually quite a good movie. Okay. They made a movie out of that one. Mm-hmm. Yes, it was good. It was very serious. It wasn't car chases and all that jazz that you get a lot of, you know, from a lot of book turned movies. This was quite uh, seriously done. Yeah, yeah, and and the movie I Robot something like what you're describing because it's it's basically, uh, I mean, w- Will Smith plays a, this cop that's investigating a death that happens at the very beginning, and and it, uh, I mean, it, it, it's it's very well done. It, it, it's a good movie, and it's. Uh, uh, you don't really know who who's responsible, and I, I won't give the ending and stuff. But it but it's a it's a pretty interesting. It, it it's pretty well done, and it's set in the future, and it's uh, uh it's it's got some good. It, it's got a it's got a main a robot character that's in it too. That I, I don't know how they filmed it or how they did it, but uh, the special effects are, are are very well done, and you, you really end up liking this robot character. He ends up stealing the movie kind of, but, uh, but it was okay. Um, Marshall or David. Or you want either one of you going to want to go next, or I might as well go next. Okay. <clears throat> well, I'm still having trouble finding any science fiction books. I tried three or four, and I just can't get started. <clears throat> so I decided. I think late last week there was a release of another Jack McDivitt book a collection of stories called A Voice in the Night. And there are, I don't remember, I think it's around 14 different stories, including two with Priscilla Hutchins and one with oh, his other Alex character. And I enjoyed most of the stories. They had all They all ended kind of positively. Uh... There were no apocalypses, um, which I've gotten tired of. And he just, he just wrote them really well. Uh, I can't remember all of them. They have one where this, they're doing an archaeological study on Capella 3, and this girl decides to set up a Christmas tree. Um, there's one where a guy makes an artificial intelligence that's, uh, equivalent to William Shakespeare. Uh, the two Hutchins stories are quite good. They take, she's on her qualification flight to become a pilot and they go to this, um, uh, class F. F-class star, and it starts out the, oh, what did they call them, monoliths that were in the other, the Engines of God series, and the other one, they find a, a guy that died and make connection with an extraterrestrial civilization. Um, the Alex Baldwin one is about a comedian that dies. So they go out and try to get to a position 
to listen to his stories. They aren't deep metaphorical, uh, metaphysical things, or but they're all interesting and entertaining, and that's what I need now. I don't need uh, these masterworks that everybody seems to want to do anymore. I just want plain old entertaining books, but I highly recommend it. The book, again, is A Voice in the Night by Jack McDevitt, and it's on Bard. Okay. Oh, muted. Currently unmuted. By the way, the, I, I looked up that movie I'm referring to is called Artificial Intelligence. Oh, that does sound familiar. It's a, a very poetic, very sad. With Didn't Steven? Was that Steven Spielberg? It was AI? Isn't it? Isn't it actually called AI, or is it Artificial Intelligence? Steven Spielberg did that. I'm pretty sure. That came out uh, several years ago. Right. Uh, yeah, it rings a bell now, faintly. I didn't know much about what it was about, but it might be worth checking because we can stream on Met- Netflix now. So we might be, uh, let's see, and I might check it out. Yeah. Because uh, we got Netflix streaming on our TV. So, uh, David, do you want to go or uh, do you want to go last? Um. I can go ahead. I don't have a lot to say, actually. A friend recently sent me a file he had gotten his hands on. I forget if he recorded it or found it. It was the talking book program as narrated by Alexander Scorby. And I mention it only because one of the books, they played a selection of different books, some nonfiction, some fiction. One was Right Side Crossing by Alan, I think his name is Alan Norris. Something like Alan Norris, maybe something like that. N O U R S E, I believe is how it's okay. spelled. Okay, I want. I thought one of you had heard of it. I vaguely remember a story like that when I was in eighth grade. We had it was in eight, eight different sections in our reading book, and we read. All I remember is it had to do with crossing Mercury, and there were puddles of molten lead. I've never actually read an audio version. I don't even think Bard has one at the moment. I'm just wondering if anybody read that on records and remembered it, and did they like it? Because I hadn't actually read any science fiction recently. I've uh, read other things, but I wanted to come anyway and support everybody. And then when this came across, I just wondered if anybody had... I hadn't read it. Uh, I I know the guy's name, and I don't know where. If I had read it, I don't remember it much. Um, uh, but uh, is it, it's a short story, or it's? I think it's a novel. I'm almost I wonder if it's. With, I wonder if it's even available anymore. If it's I from that it. old introduction, I, I doubt it. I don't know if, if NLS will rehabilitate any of its old RD and TV recordings. They may prove too expensive. I'm not sure. I know they're almost done with the cassettes. They decided to do all of them. At first, they weren't, but then they it became cost effective, so they have. And I'm not sure where they're going from there. I just know that it it seemed like an interesting thing. Some of the older science fiction was interesting. I can remember one called uh, Witch World. I believe that was um, Andre Norton. It was on TV records. She wrote more fantasy, I think, than actual science fiction. Yes, but she wrote uh, Star Rangers, which we did. The club did, actually. Oh, I missed that. Okay. Yeah, Star Soldiers. Uh, she did write some science fiction, which a lot of us cut our teeth on when we were uh, twelve years old and whatever. I mean, they're not deep as as right, but uh, they're, um, they're good starters, right? As as Marshall was saying, they're not deep, but they're fun and they're you know they're uh, some 
some Robert Heinlein is fun. Star, mm-hmm. Star Trip Troopers. And I remember Red Planet about the, the kids and the, the little Martian they find. And I remember that one was kind of amusing. I was going to ask, I know Ursula Le Guin died last year. Did she write SF? I know she wrote a lot of sort of fantasy, but I think oh, she, yes. wrote she wrote, wrote SF. a lot of SF. Some of her yeah, she works left, the, the most left hand of evil, I think, was darkness. Left hand of left darkness, hand of darkness the dispossessed. Okay. I thought she had another famous one. Uh, it was more softer, what they would That's call That's what I thought. Softer. And there was a woman, Sylvia somebody, who, who wrote who wrote some SF. One was Enchantress from the Stars. Yeah, that was Sylvia Engdahl. Okay. Those I were on RDs, too. Right. I read those in, in junior high. Yeah, Janice um, Gray read one of them. I remember to this day, mm-hmm. she, she read one of them. I, re- I really liked it, Enchantress from the Stars. Well, in a perfect world, we'd get all the all these RDs, you know, digitized and the TVs. But are uh, they on Bookshare? Well, some of these really old ones on Bookshare. We'd have to look at each one up, uh, but they might be some of them. But if if they're too old, uh, it's unlikely unless a volunteer put them up. Uh, you know, they're unlikely to, unless they've been reissued recently. You know, some of them might be. Look, yeah. Andrea Miller, you never know about her. She 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 get, may get lots of reissues, but who's and that? Gwyn, of course, Andre Norton and Le Guin. Angle, I don't know if she's been reissued or not, but boy, there's a lot of background noise coming from somewhere. Yeah, it sounds like scraping or something. Yeah, I'm not sure what that is. I hear that, but I don't know what that is. I was given to understand in the 70s, science fiction was incredibly popular with NLS's readers more than it has ever been before or since in the 70s. They sure did a lot of it. I mean, mean, there was a great deal of it done. Uh, Arthur C. Clarke's, a lot of his books were done and... Robert Heinlein. Uh, Heinlein. The problem with Heinlein is that, I mean, he even in his juveniles, he can get a little more political than, you know, he, he doesn't preach exactly, but you know. You know he ended up getting very right wing from what oh, I was told. Yeah. He became to the right of Hitler, someone once put it. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's not impossible, but, um, but he was definitely, uh, he was definitely. But I, anyway, uh, oh yeah, and Clark and, uh, of course, a lot of Ben Bova. I read As on a Darkling Plane when I was oh, like. Oh, I like that. Oh, Ben Bova was good. The flight. Remember the Exiles trilogy he did? Yeah. As on a Darkling Plane, The Weather Makers was another one. And I'm trying. There was, I think, one called Gremlins that he did with Gordon, somebody Dixon. Gordon R. Dixon. That's yeah. Him. I didn't yeah. remember. I didn't read that. I don't remember that title, but I remember the author. And Bova and, still writes, but he's oh, rather old now. Yes, he's getting. Yeah. Anyway, I will. So, uh, well, I have a real quick question, David. Was that title you mentioned? Which world, like riding on a broom, or which world? Yeah, I don't I think. I don't think that's science fiction. I don't know. No, if that I think that's is. fantasy. And I think which W I T C H. Okay. She had a whole world like that. She created a world. Okay. As many right. fantasy writers do, which world or Venificon or whatever she called it, and okay. just like Diane Duane did, I think her name is did all those wizard things. The fantasy writers get to create worlds oh, right. more than okay. any other writer. Well, science fiction writers have to do it too. They yeah. do. They do. I sometimes think fantasy gets to do it even more, though. I mean, science fiction can, especially if you're writing like 2,000 years from now, like the guy, the Australian writer who did Eyes of the Calculor, Souls of the Great yeah. Machine, and the Miocene. That was a strange The book. thing is, though, fantasy, there is an incredible market for these huge doorstop books, I mean, you know, that 
Look at mm. look at Anders. Well, we're drifting off topic, but anyway, look at Sanderson's. You know, archives, Stormlight archives, and Oathbringer and stuff. These are fifty-hour books. Oh, uh, wow. oh man, no, uh, the latest one's fifty-five hours. The previous two were only forty-six. Oh, wow. <laughs> what about oh, anyway, I want to mention before we go, and I'll be brief. I I continued on with I did two thousand one last month, and I did two thousand ten this month. Um, but I, I won't take a lot of time because it's getting late, but, um, I enjoyed it quite a lot. Actually, it was actually in some ways more suspenseful, even though I knew how things were going to turn out, uh, than 2001, there was more character development. You see some more interpersonal stuff going on with the uh, crew. It's a Russian ship. Uh, there are three Americans on it. Uh, they want to go retrieve discovery, which is in, uh, orbit between Jupiter and Io, he changed the book a bit to conform to the movie. So in the original 2001 novel, the, the discovery, the craft goes to Saturn, even though it goes to Jupiter in the movie. So in 2010, he revises the history of the book to conform to what people, apparently more people watched the movie, read the book, I guess. So uh, and Hal did not act do what he did in the movie in the same way. I mean, he killed people but he didn't do it in the same way in the book so he revises the history of that it's a little bit and i have to point out before i uh forget that uh japetus really is a name for iapetus according to wikipedia it's occasionally used so it's not the common the most predominant name but it is uh used so and i was not aware of that i don't remember hearing it in the original john stratton version of 2001 but who knows that was 35 or 40 years ago or whatever so i don't remember uh so i stand corrected on that it definitely is a legitimate name for that moon of saturn that is no longer relevant to 2010 so um anyway they go and find discovery and david bowman uh, comes back from where he went he was he went through the monolith and went to um and he was well, his body was destroyed, but he was sent back as, I guess, kind of a pure energy, organized field, something, hand wavium type entity. And he goes to Earth, and then he goes through the Jupiter system, and he finds Europa, and there's life on it. I'm leaving out some things because I'm hurrying. But, um, and so what happens in the end, and I'm going to spoil it because it's such an old book, and anyway, you can still enjoy it. Um, the people who are in charge of him. Now he's not a complete puppet. He does have some freedom, but he's on a mission and uh, they want to encourage life. That's why the original monolith came to earth and, you know, kind of manipulated the mentalities of the African people that you saw at the beginning of uh, 2001. So they turned Jupiter into a star to accelerate and create intelligent life on Europa. And they ban humanity from going they said, all these other worlds are for you, but stay away from Europa. And so at the end of 2010, Europa is uh, got a, a sun on one side, and it's warming up, and the ice is melting and everything. And David Bowman and Hal, because he, he uh, takes Hal with him into the monolith to await future developments, as in 2061, I guess. I don't know if he comes back in 2061 or not, but... And I don't know if I'm going to read those two. I'm kind of tempted now that I'm halfway through. But there's so many other things I want to read. 
nonfiction as well as fiction that, I don't know, it's uh, tough. But anyway, uh, so I got 2010 in this month, and I did enjoy it quite a lot, listening to John Stratton. He's a great narrator. Uh, if you ever get a chance to listen to him or do something. I like him, but I don't think he's reading anymore. No, I don't think he's reading anymore. I think you're right. It's been quite a while since he's read anything that I know. He started in the mid-70s. I remember yep. the book in the mid-70s. Well, John Polk started in 1977, and he's still going, wow. I will say. It's quite amazing. He's still, you know, he his first book that I know of was Children of Dune, which was recorded in February of 1977. Now, if he recorded anything before that, I'm not aware of it. But he's still, as far as I know, he's still working. He was out of 40. Cincinnati, I believe. No. And he did the Huckleberry Finn. He did that Huckleberry Finn get together. He was on, you know, he was on the phone with the group, you know. The, oh, that's the, right. yeah, yeah, Fall Classic. Yeah. yeah, John Polk was there. That was really cool to hear him talk about his work, you know. That was. John Beryl read some of the um, Dune, I think. John Beryl read the first book. He was a volunteer reader right. at the time. Cincinnati. Cincinnati. Cleveland, actually. Oh, it was Cleveland's, the oh. Cleveland Society for the he Blind. Read well. Oh, he read well. Oh, that's why NLS got him, I guess. Or why he, he you know. He, and then he did others. He did some other. He did some nonfiction. He did some fantasy. Uh, David Eddings. He did some nonfiction books. Oh, I liked him um, reading David Eddings. He passed away oh. uh, some year, many, quite a few years ago now. I don't know if anybody could top Terry Hayes' sales in longevity. She started in 1937. And I think she narrated it up to about 2000. I don't know. Uh, Mitzi Freelander might give her a run. She was another good one. <laughs> She was fantastic. Well, I guess, guys, um, our next meeting is going to be on February the 14th. So we've got five weeks to uh, figure out what we're going to talk about next month. I'm going to try some new books. I think some there's some new SF on my book sense that I want to try out. Uh, there's a new – There's a. well, I'll tell you about it next month if I read it. Uh, so I'm going to um, – conclude by saying that this is an excellent meeting and we'll see you guys on the 14th i hope and thank you all for coming does, does anybody have any science fiction books with a valentine theme they know about for the what anybody know of a science fiction book with a valentine theme not that i know of <laughs> yeah yeah bound to be one yeah, Sherry, that's that's your that, that that's your alleyway. Come on, tell oh me. yeah, that's my department. Yeah, I'm gonna yeah, do right, sci-fi right. plus Valentine's Day. And well, Sherry, Valentine's you, are, you can send something to the list <laughs> if you find it. Remember, the list is still there. Nobody's using it lately. I will do that. Yep. But yep. if you find anything, you send it. All right. I'm All right. Just you have your homework. What? <laughs> yeah, she's gonna she's gonna well, go I'm look. I'm kind of so. like. What Marshall said, I've had trouble finding good books too. The the one I read for tonight was the third one I read. I started two others and quit. I, I'm going to have to go back to some of the older classics. I think. Well, I guess you can see that's what I've been doing lately. I this is my third yeah. classic. I did I did one before 2001. I can't remember what. I'll have to look at what I did. Uh, but I've been repeating a few things lately also. And I Robot. That's a that's a. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, I'm in a perfect them. position. I, I can read all the old classics. I've never read them, so it's they're, they're all new to me. So yeah, so. Well, there's a lot of them I haven't read either. Yeah. <laughs> I'd love to read the Void trilogy again if uh, Kristen Allison oh, yeah. is reading it. I have to read the Braille. Well, you know, I, I do. You know, that's a good point. I do still have a couple Peter Laird Hamiltons that I have not read that are standalone. I think. Uh, there's Fallen Dragon. 
It's military, uh, but it's not extremely military. Yeah, I got them off Bookshare, I remember, but I don't remember what they're called anymore. But that's a good point. Maybe I'll read one of those. Yeah, and he likes he can tell a long story without it feeling padded. That's one great thing exactly. I like. Exactly. Oh, yeah, so, I like him a lot. Yeah, that's that's one thing uh, you won't get from the science fiction most of the time. You won't get a 50-hour story like you will from a fantasy author. But right, right. <laughs> anyway. Okay. Well, we'll talk to you guys next week. Thanks, Alan. Okay. Oh, sure. I, it was fun. We'll talk to you Thanks. again. All right. Thanks, Take guys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Bye.